it's really weird to be called Papa Tony. <laughs> or Papa T, that's even more uncomfortable. Well, you are. <laughs> <laughs> that's what my kids call my grand, my, my dad, Papa, so it seems kind of weird, but uh, I'm super excited to uh, talk to you tonight. Um, like Lyle said, I was hoping to just get five or ten minutes and... Uh, he was gracious enough to give me the whole slide here, and uh, this this Labor Day weekend is really uh, significant in my life, and um, I want to spend the first 15 minutes or so just kind of telling you my story. Um, I don't know a lot of y'all in the church, and um, I've been a Christian now for 30 years. Um, back when I was 21 years old, the Lord... Uh, had a radical experience with the Lord. And I, I want to share that story, and then I want to kind of talk about, like, what's happened and, and what that meant for the last 30 years, and then tie that into what I think God uh, wants all of us to know. So um, let me bore you with a few details of my story and put my old man glasses on. Um, I, I grew up in church. Uh, I can remember back to four years old. Uh, going to church with my parents. Now, when I was four years old, my dad was Catholic, and uh, my mom was Baptist. And I remember, actually, my parents fighting. Like, uh, my mom didn't want us to go to the Catholic church. My dad didn't want the kids going to the Baptist church. And it was a, a, a great little uh, thing of strife in our family. Every other week, we just took turns. One week, we went with dad. The next week, we went with mom. And it was about a year and a half process of uh, a lot of fights, a lot of arguments. Um, my mom didn't really want us going to Catholic church, or church, going to the Catholic school. She wanted us to be raised in the Baptist church like she was. And uh, after about a year and a half, like my dad started attending the Baptist church. And uh, he actually, what we would say as Baptist, got saved um, when I was uh, five and a half years old. And my parents, like, uh, I know some of y'all probably have a similar story. Like, in our family, you did not miss church. You never missed church. Uh, I actually tell my kids, it was so bad that uh, if you didn't go to church, if you tried to pull one of those, I'm sick, I can't go, you stayed in bed all day. You never got to get out of bed. You didn't get to come out of your room. If you were too sick to go to church, you didn't go anywhere. So, uh I grew up in that. I was the kid that was always there. I was the kid that they called on to pray. I was the kid that knew the memory verses. I was the kid that uh, knew all the right answers because I was there every time the doors were open. And literally, I mean every time. Uh, when I got to be around 14 years old, uh, we moved to a new neighborhood. And Right after we moved, it was kind of a new neighborhood. They were building houses. About uh, two or three months after we moved to this neighborhood, another family moved into the neighborhood that my dad worked with their mother. And I tell you this because I, I want to kind of go into the progression of what led me, you know, down this path I'm going to talk about. Uh, my, my dad knew this family, was a single mom. She only had one kid. And so my dad's like, hey, uh, why don't you go be friends with him, you know, uh, talk to him, invite him over. Uh, and me and him became really good friends. Because they weren't a church-going family and they, uh, you know, uh, didn't have the whole family model there. It was a single mom. He had a lot of freedom that I never knew anything about. Um, he got to do a lot of stuff that was strictly forbidden in our family. You know, uh, it was kind of uh, this strange new door opening up in my life of this friendship with this person. And not in a good way. Like things that I would have thought I would have never done or never tried, like became a little bit appealing just from the time that I started hanging out with this, this fella. Um... About that time, another guy moved into our neighborhood. One guy was two houses up this way. The other guy was two houses the other way down the street. Same, uh, similar story. They didn't go to church. 
all three of us started running around and at that age of 14, 15, you're just very easily influenced. What people uh, introduce to you, you don't really have strong enough values or strong enough, uh, you know, beliefs to know what you really ought to do. You know, um, it's a area of contention in our family trying to raise teenagers right now because, uh, you know, me and my wife both have uh, this kind of story and we're super, super particular about who our, our kids hang out with because of that very reason. Um, you know, there's a saying in business and uh, I think it's applicable in this situation. If you want to know what you're going to end up look, looking like, look at your friends. Look at those four or five people that you are closest to. That's probably what your life is going to look like two or three down, two or three years down the road. So I got into these really deep friendships at 15 years old with two guys that really had nothing to do with God, nothing to do with church. I would invite them occasionally. They very rarely came to anything. And um, at 15 years old, I started doing drugs with these two guys. Uh, we would pull the old teenager trick. All three of us would say we're staying at the other one's house. Uh, or we would stay at my friend's house who had the single mother because she never watched or checked on anything we did. We could stay out all night, not even come home. Nobody knew the difference. Um, and I started, like I said, doing drugs, started drinking. And uh, it wasn't too terribly bad in, uh, at the beginning, but it just like progressively got worse and worse and worse. Uh, Again, I try to tell my kids this, uh, you know, it's not that you think you're ever going to make it through life without trying something or being curious about something, but when you take that one step towards letting something in your life that you know is ungodly, something that you know is a downright sin, you're taking a step away from God, and uh, you never know how far that's going to lead you off the path. In the Baptist church, I don't know if y'all have ever heard this saying. I'm a recovering Baptist, by the way. <laughs> we have this saying, a lot of uh, the preachers use it. Sin will take you further than you want to go. It keeps you longer than you want to stay. And it costs you more than you want to pay. And, and that's the truth in life. Like you start down that road, things will go downhill very fast. So... I made it through high school, I did graduate. Um, the fellow with the single mom, me and him decided to be roommates in college. Went off to MTSU because it was a party school at that time, that's the whole reason we picked that school. We became roommates and uh, by this time, getting away from my parents, getting out from under that wing and uh, having some newfound freedom, things like progressively got worse very, very bad. Uh, back in that day, uh, $3,000 was a lot of money. So from 10th, 11th, and 12th grade, I had saved money all year because my parents said, we'll pay for your college, but we're paying for no spending money. Any money you want at college, you have to earn yourself. So I had $3,000 saved up. And for a fella that's uh, drinking a lot and doing drugs, in about a month and a half of college, Every bit of that was gone. Like I had partied away all my year-long spending money. <laughs> um, <laughs> I met a new bad influence at college, and he was uh, one of those fellows that could out-party all of us and had a very rich father. So uh, the partying went up to this new level. And like I said, all the money was gone in about a month and a half, two months. And... Um, my friend said to me something that really like uh, escalated the problem. He's like, you know, my sister, uh, she sells drugs. She sells them because she does so many drugs, she can't afford her own habit. So she sells them to make enough money so she can do more drugs. I think she would let us have some so we could sell them up here at college. So me and my newfound friend at college began the process of selling drugs. Um, so from 
you know, from 15 to 18, it had gone from, you know, smoking that first joint to feeling really, really guilty about it, skipping school and drinking, feeling really guilty about it, to now, like, having no guilt, no remorse, no bad feelings. Like, sin had taken me so far away from God, there was just no thought or you know, process to, to feel bad about what I was doing anymore. So for the next uh, two and a half years, me and my friend Paul, we sold drugs. I became a drug dealer. Like, uh, I would have never thought like my life would have been that way. And 30 years ago, tomorrow, I got arrested for being a drug uh, dealer for selling drugs. On Labor Day 30 years ago at 21 years old was the first time, or well, the only time, thankfully, I got arrested. Uh, in our family, uh, like I said, my mom, super religious, super, uh, you know, church attendant, she came from a family of nine brothers and sisters. And her brother, Uncle Robbie, you know, every family has that crazy uncle. Mine was Uncle Robbie. Uncle Robbie has probably been arrested 40 to 50 times for everything you can imagine. Um, he would come to our house. He worked on one of those river boats. He would go up and down the Cumberland River all the way down to the Gulf Coast. Whenever he was in town, he would stop at our house. He would uh, take our bicycles and bike, bike all the way to Lakeview in Old Hickory just to go to the liquor store. Like he had a, a serious drug and alcohol addiction. Um, and my mom was so fed up with Robbie, her brother, that she told us just repeatedly, if you ever get arrested, don't even call me. Don't, you know, I'm not coming to jail to get you out. I'm not going to have an Uncle Robbie in my family. And I'm one of my kids turning out like my brother. And so when I got arrested, I didn't even uh, call my mom and dad. It had probably been uh, about a year and a half since I had... Uh, really been in real touch with my parents. I had seen them occasionally. They had kicked me out of their house for because uh, they had caught me so many times with drugs. Um, and so for about a week, like, I was in this gray area. Like, I knew I didn't want to be a drug addict. I knew I didn't want to be like Uncle Robbie, but I was addicted to drugs. Like, I did drugs every day for about four and a half years without... You know, not one day went by without doing them. After about four days, like, I really felt like, you know, um, well, if you sell drugs in Tennessee and you get arrested, they take your car. Um, you know, they, they took all my stuff, all my, my vehicle, my possessions, and I, I really had nothing. You know, my friends, uh, they felt sad for me, but, you know, I really had nothing. And uh, after about four days... I went back and I met with my mom and dad and my, my parents, uh, you know, of course they were heartbroken. They didn't uh, want me to go down that path and they took me back into their home. And uh, of course, uh, with one restriction, if I went back to their house, I had to start going to church again. <laughs> that was the, you know, the main rule. If I went back home and lived with them, they would help me, they'd get me a lawyer. They would help me, uh, you know, try to get out of the trouble, and um, I had to start going back to church. Two weeks after, went back to church the first week, not much happened. Second week back, um, a singing group came to our church that night. They, they did the whole Sunday night service. They sang a few songs, and in the middle of it, like uh, the singer, he stopped to give his testimony. That's why I asked Lyle, like, if I could speak tonight. Um, his story was so similar to mine. It was like, you know, one of those sermons you get all sweaty and you know, like, like your mom told him your whole story. Like, this is so weird and uncanny. Like, there's no way this could be real if he didn't know my story, you know. Uh, I was getting all sweaty. I was grabbing the back of the pew. My knuckles were turning all white. Like I knew like what this guy was saying was what was missing in my life. And, and this is a statement that he made, and I want to spend the rest of the time I'm not going over the gory details of my life, but talking about what he said that night. And uh, 
He said like what he realized up until the point of his conversion is that he had always wanted Jesus as a savior, but he never wanted Jesus as his Lord. And that if you read your Bible, and we're going to go over a lot of verses. Uh, like I said, I am Baptist, so I got a lot of Bible verses for you tonight. But uh, when you read your Bible, they go together. Like it's Jesus is our Lord and Savior. You can't really have one without having the other. And so I want to talk to you tonight about lordship and what that means for our life as uh, Christians and how it, it dratic, drastically changes everything. Like when you really make Jesus Lord of your life, your life will never be the same. Um, and I'm sure like most of us, if you've been in church more than two or three weeks, you know, you've experienced this. Like, you know, having religion can really like uh, be a negative thing. Like, you know, if you don't really get it down pat of what it means to make Jesus Lord, like going to church, having religion, doing your Bible study or your devotion can all become a chore. Like it's dry. It's really like a, not very exciting. So uh, I want to talk to you about that. And uh, like I said, let's dig in. Um, the first verse um, I want us to look at is uh, 1 Peter 3.15. You don't have to turn there. I'm going to read all these. It says, uh, sanctify or set apart Christ as Lord in your heart. Always be ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. And I want to throw out this idea tonight that I think is 100% true. There are things always looking to control your life. It's our job, like this verse said, like we are the ones that are supposed to set Christ apart as Lord. That's our role in the process. We have to make sure we don't let anything else get up on the throne of our life. Christ is what's supposed to be on the throne, and it's our job to make sure he stays up there. Um, I'm going to have a... Man, it's hot up here. I'm going to have two or three of these things I want to throw out. <laughs> Whoo, Michael. Whoo. We, need, we need to get some sweat towels with those little clips that uh, hang from the... You know, uh, I think sometimes as Christians we give the devil a little too much credit for things, but there are things that he specifically tries to do to wreak havoc on our life. And... And the first one is he tries just to keep, keep us away from God. Um, and that's what he had done for me for those first 21 years. Like he made the things of the world, drugs, alcohol, friendships that I knew were ungodly, look more appealing than serving the Lord. So for 21 years, he got me, you know, his battle was real easy. Just make everything else look a whole lot more appealing. But then when you decide you're going to follow God, he has to switch tactics. You know, no longer is he trying to get you to not uh, think the Lord is appealing. He spends the rest of his time trying to make you as ineffective as he possibly can. And that's why it's so important for us to make that choice that we're always going to put Christ on the, on the throne of our heart. Because, you know, that verse where it says... Uh, when Jesus told him, hey, you're going to do even greater things than I did. Like the reason Jesus could say that to us is because like now he can multiply himself millions and millions of times. When he was here in the flesh, he could only be in one place at a time. But when he's Lord of our hearts, you know, he can be wherever I am. He could be wherever Philip is. He could be wherever Lyle is. He can be everywhere because he works through our lives. But it's, it's our job to keep him up on the throne and not let other things crawl in. You know, the fight begins when we truly make Jesus Lord of our life. Um, you know, one of those, uh, there's a lot of different verbiage about it when you become a Christian. Um, you know, one of the things that a lot of people say is, I gave my life to Christ. Right. You know, that's the phrase you use about becoming a Christian. And that's literally 
When you make Jesus Lord of your life, that's what you're doing. It's not even my life anymore. I gave away my life. I gave it to Christ. And now it's his to do whatever he wants to do with it. And when we truly make that choice to give away our life, then those things of the world don't look so appealing anymore because it's not even our life anymore. It's, it's God's life. Um, Jesus said it this way in Luke 9, 23. He said to the crowd, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own ways, take up your cross daily, and follow me. Like if we really want to follow Jesus, we can't really have our own agenda anymore. And when we make Christ Lord of our life, when he's truly in control, our agenda goes out the window. You know, uh, in America, I think the whole idea of having a Lord is really foreign, you know, to us as a society. We want to be in charge of our life. We, we, we're, we feel like we're number one. I don't know if any of y'all uh, guys, this probably uh, be a big strike against my guy card here, but uh, if you watched uh, the Downton Abbey uh, series with your wives or anything, you know, uh, in that show, you know, set a couple hundred, well, 50, 80 years ago, like, they referred to the, the guy in charge of the castle there as my lord. That's right, that's right. You know, and when he asked the servants to do something, they were like, they were quick to be obedient about it. They were scared to death if they did something wrong, like the lord of the castle would maybe give them a bad recommendation. Nobody in town would even want them to work for him again because they weren't an obedient servant. You know, that concept for us nowadays is really like totally foreign. But that's what God wants from our life. You know, Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. Yes. You know, and in, in 30 years of uh, being a Christian, like you, you see a lot of different kind of stuff happen. You know, uh, the way church was even 30 years ago, some of the elders and pastors, you know, can attest to this. Things change, and a lot of times when things change in life, what you'll find is that the pendulum swings way too far to the other side. You know, it's 100% true that Jesus is our friend. I'll tell you a weird old story. Like I remember uh, uh, singing for the first time in church, I am a friend of God. Like, y'all remember that old song? And feeling weird about it, like feeling like this is the weirdest song. Like I'm a friend of God like that growing up as a Christian. Like that wasn't really a big thing that people even talked about. Like I'm a servant of God. I'm a follower of God. But to, to be a, considered a friend, like that was a new way of thinking. But again, like if you swing way far over here and you get buddy, buddy, chummy, chummy with, you know, Jesus, that Lord concept, that Lord side of it can get distorted. You know, he's still our Lord. Whether he's our friend or not, he's still our Lord. You know, Paul, uh, Paul said it uh, this way. Uh, well, Peter first said, this, uh, this Jesus whom you crucified, he's both our Lord and Savior. And then Paul said it. This way, over in Philippians 2, he said, One day, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord. You know, he is our Lord. No matter how much we have a friendship with him, he's still our Lord that we should have reverence to and obedience to. And when you have that concept down right, it takes care of a lot of the other issues that you're going to have in life. Um. I remember when I, when I first got arrested, I just got the job at the T-shirt factory. Um, still work there 30 years later. Uh, I had just started working there for about uh, four months, got arrested. Um, luckily, the guy that had hired me, he was a bigger drug addict than me, and uh, he didn't have a problem with me getting arrested, you know. Um, he... Uh, I spent the next 15 years trying to witness to this guy and talk to him about Jesus. It never did take, but um, I remember his father that had started the whole company, you know, uh, one time we were having a little meeting about our, our t-shirt division, and I was like, maybe we should pray about this, and he was like, well, that's why God gave you a brain, so you don't have to pray about it. You can just think 
what you want. You know, when we make Christ Lord of our life, that inevitably makes every decision, every choice we're going to make in our life, we need to run by the big guy. You know, we need to make sure our life is lining up to what the Lord wants. You know, it doesn't go on autopilot anymore. It's not even our life anymore. So if we truly make Jesus Lord, put him on the throne of our life, the first thing that we got to get off the throne is ourself. Like Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you got to give up your own ways. The other thing that, um, which is point two, the other thing that we got to make sure we never let on the throne is sin in our life. And this is another thing I think um, over the last 30 years that has really uh, changed in church culture. Um, you know, there, there needs to be a mentality in our life that we are not okay with any sin in our life. Like sin, like I just said at the beginning, like knowing that very first time, I remember in, you know, a ninth grade going under the steps outside the gym at high school and smoking a joint with these two friends I was talking about under the stairs before school started that morning and just knowing like how wrong that was, like being scared to death of that choice that I just made, scared to death of what God was going to think about me, scared to death of if my parents found out, if we got caught at school. And, you know, just a, a year or two later, not really giving a crap about what anybody thought about my choices anymore. One step, you know, towards sin, like God, you know, he... Jesus is a, is a real gentleman. He never forces his way up onto that throne in your heart. You have to choose to put him up there. And you have to re-choose over and over and over. Whenever anything creeps into your life that, that knocks Jesus off that throne, you have to choose to put him back up there. He never forces his way on us. So it's 100% true you know, we used to sing it at church, just as I am. You know, uh, Jesus will accept you just as you are. That's 100% true. And we don't never need to undo that thinking, but Jesus is never okay with leaving you in that condition. He, he wants to bring you to himself, and then he wants to conform, like the Bible says, he wants to conform you to the image of Christ. He wants to turn you into a little Christ, which is what the word Christian actually means. That's why they started calling people Christians, because they acted so much like Christ. You know, a lot of times, uh, I think in today's culture, we, we leave out the part of what it really means to live for Christ after we get saved. He wants to change our life and actually you know, texted Michael this week and said, hey, I don't even know what the name of that song is, but can we sing that song that says, now I have a destiny, or now I have a purpose, now I have a destiny. Because he has a purpose for your life. Yes, yes. He really wants to use you, like uh, our slogan here, love God, love people, change the world. Yes. He wants to change the world through your life. Yes, yes. You know, the, the, the people that you are going to have influence over are different than the people that I'm going to have influence over. It's different than the people that Brian's going to have influence over. We all have our little circle of influences, and he can change the whole world if the people that truly follow him, let him use them to change the world. Like, we have to be changed first, and then he can use us to change the world around us. And we really do. We have a purpose. We have a destiny. You know, I think uh, that's one of the reasons, I, 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 that's one of my favorite songs we do here. And I think like, you know, of course it has a catchy beat and it's really a uh, up uh, tempo song and Michael does a great job singing it. But I think like one of the reasons you get so excited singing that song, it resonates with your spirit inside you. Like we, we need a purpose. We need, a, we need a reason bigger than ourselves to live because 
we can make a mess of our life by ourselves. But when we have Jesus in control and up on the throne and, and we're obeying him, he gives us a purpose that's so much bigger than ourselves. Um, I just got the opportunity to go to Costa Rica on a mission trip and uh, got to do some exciting things down there. And, you know, uh, everywhere you go down there, traffic's horrendous. The roads are really bad. And so you're stuck in this tiny little South American van for, um, you know, hours just trying to go, uh, you know, uh, 10 miles across town. And we, we had a really good uh, conversation, one of those hour and a half long uh, van trips. And, uh, you know, different people were sharing their stories and what they think God wants, wants them to do with their life. And, and, and one of the things I would tell you guys, you know, after 30 years of trying to live for the Lord, is one of Satan's greatest tools for Christians, for, for those of us that have actually chosen to make Jesus Lord of our life, is he wants to make you as ineffective as possible. And he'll do whatever he can to, to make that come to play. And he'll say whatever he has to say. Like uh, when, when Lyle was just talking about understanding your real identity, understanding how God feels about you. You know, uh, I probably spent the first 10 years of my Christian life feeling like, I mean, basically like I was a screw-up. I'm a drug addict. I've messed up my life so bad, nobody would want to listen to anything I would say. Of course, during that time, I met an awesome lady, Amy, got married, started having children. And then for the next 10 years, like, you know what he does? He's, you're too busy. You're starting a family. Don't get involved with that. It's going to take too much time out of your life. You've got responsibilities at home. Um, and even now... I was sharing this with Jenna in the van, like, even now, like, I even felt this tonight, like, like, he, he tells me, you're too old, you missed your window, like, you're, you're 51 years old, your window already passed, like, he tells you whatever he can to keep you from living out your purpose and your destiny, like, I, I would guess if we had to take a you know a little hand check and 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 see we would probably only have maybe two or three hands go up if we're real honest with us that most of us spend our life feeling ineffective unworthy uh, like we're not really living up to our full potential that God can't really use me to do great things and it's a lie from the enemy to keep us from filling our destiny of what Jesus said. Hey, you're going to do even greater things than I did. Like, God wants us uh, to live this life of purpose and destiny, but Satan does everything he can to keep us out of that. He doesn't want us walking in our purpose and our destiny. <sighs> Let's see. I want to read a verse out of Romans, uh, Romans 6. It says, Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourself to God as those who have been bought, brought from death to life. And offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you're not under the law, you're under grace. Don't you know that when you offer yourself to someone as obedient slaves, you're slaves to the one you obey, whether you're slaves to sin, which leads to death, or slaves to obedience, which leads to righteousness. When we really put Christ up on the throne of our life and we start obeying and walking in the ways that he wants to, like our life becomes righteous. He can use us to do a lot of good things for his kingdom. He wants us to... To make sure, like, like I said in point one, we don't put ourselves up on the throne in our own ways. And then in point two, we don't let any sin creep into our life. Yeah. Let's have a strong desire that nothing ungodly is going to come into our life. We're not going to let it even take us one step off the path. You know, there's a lot of other things. Uh, sin's a big one that uh, is obvious we wouldn't want to let in our life. Um, 
me and Amy are even going through this right now, uh, experiencing this. There's other things that creep into your life that you're just unaware to that make you ineffective for God. One of those is just flat out busyness. Like you can become so busy that you really don't even have time to do what God wants you to do. You've packed your life with so many activities and things that might not be bad things. They're just things that keep you extremely busy. You know, uh, family, friends, kids, jobs, careers, all that just uh, whittles away at how much time you really have for God. Of course, we have to work. We have to make money. But we have to be truly careful the things that we let creep into our life that make us ineffective for God. Um, I want to read... Um, Another verse out of 2 Timothy, it says, You know, in the last days, people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy. They won't have love. They'll be unforgiving, no self-control. They'll be not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. They'll hold to a form of godliness, but they'll deny its power. You know, there's a lot of people that, uh, you know, they take on religion. They found Jesus. They start going to church. They try to manufacture this cleaning up of their own life. They have a, a form of godliness, but they really have no power in their life to overcome, you know, the things that, are, that have been plaguing us. When Christ is our Lord and when he's sitting on the throne, there will be righteousness in our life. There'll be godliness. There'll be power. There'll be transformation. We'll have breakthrough. We'll overcome some of the things that we've been struggling with. Um, the desires that have uh, got us off track so many times. But when we keep putting ourselves back on the throne, all those things will just be a dream for us. You know, if we really want to have that kind of power in our life, we truly got to put Jesus up on the throne and keep him there. Um, sorry, I'm not real polished on this, but I, I have a lot of notes here. To keep Christ on the throne, we must deliberately choose to be different and to make different choices. You know, in Romans, uh, one, of the, one of the best verses in the Bible, I think, Romans 12, 1 and 2, it says, Dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let your body be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. The third part of this, uh, and I think one of the keys, is we got to start changing the way that we think about things. Now, if we make a conscious choice to put Jesus as Lord, we have to think about all the other things that we let into our life that's going to compromise that initial choice. If we choose to do this, this, and this, and it makes us really busy, then inevitably we're choosing not to do something for God because we're so busy. If we choose to be uh, involved with some people that we know are not living godly lives, then we have to be very mindful, check our thinking that we're not getting enticed or pulled away from God by the people that we're associating with. Lyle, uh, you know, in his sermon a couple weeks ago, you know, he, he talked about, like, even him, he had to take a, a stance where at, at the beginning, he had to choose not to be around certain people because of the influence they might have on him. Later, he could add a few friends back when he's strong enough to stand on his own, but we got to constantly be transforming the way we think about things you know our life gets in a mess when we think about uh, things in our natural man like naturally our thinking doesn't you know achieve godliness and if we're not careful then the worldly thinking you know look out for number one try to uh, 
gain and achieve as much as you can will creep in. You know, over in First uh, John, it says, uh, don't love the world or anything that belongs to the world. If you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. Everything that belongs to the world, what, it, what the sinful self desires, what people see and want, everything in this world that people are so, so proud of, None of this comes from the Father. It comes from the world. Even the worldly thinking. Like you're just barraged, uh, you know, by it. Everything you watch, all the commercials, you, your thinking can get so easily off track if you're not mindful of it. So we have to constantly be renewing our mind to think like Christ wants us to think. To keep Christ as Lord, we got to change the way we think. Um... You know, the Bible tells us over in 1 Corinthians that we actually have the mind of Christ. But how many of us as a Christian do we really, you know, think with the mind that we've been given, the mind of Christ, you know? That it, it, it is true that when you become a Christian, the old things pass away and all things become new, but you're still stuck with the old, you know, Tony or the old Lyle, you know, and, and that... Well, we, what I like to call stinking thinking can creep back in there at any time. Like the way you thought before you were a Christian, it's always lingering back there in the background. So we have to be constantly renewing our mind. How do we do that? By, by getting in God's Word, by surrounding us ourselves with other people that are like-minded, by having people in our lives that are, you know, a little further ahead on the Christian road than we are. And then having a few that are right behind us that we can pull along. We have to constantly renew our mind to be thinking like Christ wants us to think. Um, this is a verse that kind of goes along with that over in uh, 2 Corinthians 10.5. It says, we're destroying speculations and every lofty thing that raised up against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. You know, you have to be mindful when those thoughts come into your mind, something that's going to pull you away from God, an opportunity to go do this. Maybe it's an opportunity to make more money, uh, you know, a get-rich-quick scheme or something like that comes in, and you can get totally distracted in your spiritual walk really quick. We have to be mindful. Take every one of those thoughts captive and make obedient to, uh, to Christ. It, it's, it's truly a difficult long-term to live a godly life and not ever have any slip-ups. Slip you know, there's always something that's trying to knock you off track. There's always something that, that presents that fork in the road where you have to make a choice to follow God. But God's told us in Second uh, Peter that he's given us everything we need to live a godly, not, godly life. He's given us this through his uh, knowledge of him who called us in his own glory and excellence and through his precious and magnificent promises. He's given us everything we need to live that godly life. But we have to be the ones that choose it over and over and over. When I was, uh, before I got too far off, uh, the path in my own Christian life uh, before I started doing drugs and uh, alcohol. I had this uh, thing that happened in my life um, when I was uh, 10 years old. My mom, she used to uh, have a little purse up in the cabinet that she kept enough lunch money for the whole month. I didn't realize she even knew how much money was in it, but we were on a tight budget. We have four kids, so she had calculated exactly down to the dollar how much money she needed to get everybody their lunch money for school, put it in this purse. We were supposed to take out $1 a day and uh, you know go eat our school lunch. Well, me and my brother had this great idea that, uh, hey, we'll start taking 4 or $5. We'll go to family billiards after school and play video games and pool and... Uh, she won't ever know the difference. She'll just put more money in it. Well, of course, you know, a couple of weeks into that uh, great scheme, you know, we got caught. And uh, it, it just seemed like it was way too easy. It was just too easy to take the money. I remember telling my mom that, and uh, she made me learn this Bible verse. 
in uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Uh, you know, since I was 10 years old, I've known this, 41 years. There hath no temptation taken you, but such is common to man. God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted above that which ye are able, and will with the temptation make a way for escape that you might be able to bear it. Like, that's one of those precious and magnificent promises that God gave us. Like, he's, he's telling us, there's nothing you're going to be faced with that I'm not going to give you a way out. Like, you can escape every temptation that comes into your life if you just look for the way out. The problem is most of us don't look for the way out. Most of us, you know, uh, we're okay with a little bit of sin in our life. I know uh, probably 90% of what I say is not going to stick with you, but I guarantee you you're going to use this next illustration for the next 10 or 15 years in your life. Amy probably knows what I'm going to talk about. You know, uh, we heard this at a revival about 25 years ago. You know, uh, it's kind of gross, so excuse that. But (laughs) if I was to make a batch of chocolate chip cookies... And enough for give everybody two or three cookies here. But I put a couple of little pieces of poop (laughs) in there. Just two or three little pieces. There's 100, 150 chocolate chips. Most of us wouldn't eat any of the cookies, right? (laughs) Philip, would you eat any of them? (laughs) But spiritually speaking, most of us are okay with a little bit of poop in our life. We're okay with having some sin. As long as, like the sin that's in my life, maybe if it's not as bad as Lyle's or if it's not as bad as this guy's, I feel okay with it because it's just a little bit. So the next time you think about a little sin popping in your life, I want you to think about that chocolate chip cookie. Don't eat it. It's a lie. Like, you don't need to eat that stuff. Don't allow it in your life. Don't be okay with even a little bit of it. You'll use that on your kids the next 20 years as they... uh... You know, uh, I love the slogan of the church, you know. We want to change the world like, uh, like Lyle said earlier. We want to write history. We want to change the world. But we got to have the change really happen in our life. To bring change to somebody else, it's got to have happened in our life first. People can see right through our words. You know, what you, what you do will either underline or cross out what you say every time. If you're really living it, it's just an underline. They, they want to hear what you have to say. But if you're not really living it, it just crosses out everything you have to say. People can see through, you know, our disguise of really living for Jesus. The world is looking for people that are different. The world really needs something to help them change. You know, I had uh, one of the saddest things. Um, I hope I don't cry, but I'm... You know, just three weeks ago, one of my employees died, drug overdose. Um, you know, we got a joke at our, our work that we're felony friendly, and um, I hire a lot of felons. I hire a lot of drug addicts. I hire a lot of alcoholics. I hire a lot of people that have had a lot of struggle in their life because, like, I know how I used to be. And I try everything I can to talk to these people, to, to share what God did in my life. This girl for uh, two and a half years worked for me. She quit two or three times, got arrested two or three times during the time she worked for me. Um, two, three days before she died, like, you know, I was holding her hand in, my, in, in the shipping office and she was bawling her eyes out. And I was, you know, she was, she was crying because People at work were talking about her because she's fallen off the wagon again for the fourth, fifth time, you know. Most of the world doesn't have patience for people like that. Most of the time, Lyle can attest, I know I can, like 
Most of the time, even your family will get sick of it after a while. They don't even, like, it's long-suffering dealing with drug addicts and alcoholics. Like, they'll put you through a lot of trouble. People need something to help them change. I remember telling her, like, Ashley, if you just get your right, life right with God, like, you know, the change will happen. In a year from now, those people will say, you remember how Ashley used to be? Like, look how different her life is. But you've got to start making some different choices. You know, three days later, she OD'd shooting up heroin in a hotel room. She didn't make the different choices. You know, we have a choice of how we're going to live our life. God has given us everything we need to live a godly life. We have to not be okay with letting the sin in our life. We have to be okay with stepping off the throne and letting Christ be on the throne. If we really are going to change the world, that's what it takes. You know, we're about to um, go into the week we've been talking about for a year now, about the Go Conference. You know, I think it's called Go Conference because it's putting into us the idea of going out and doing what we come in here and hear about every week. You know, uh, I think there's an, another uh, little thing um, that we're guilty of as Christians. We feel better about ourselves just because we hear it, even though we might not be putting it into practice. You know, we need to go out and do what God has really called us to do for the world to be changed. So I'm going to wrap this up. I want to ask you some questions for your own life. Think about this in your own life. Are you right now, like based on the choices you've made up to today about putting Christ as Lord of your heart, are you really ready to go out and do the things that God wants you to do? Most of the time we won't feel ready because of the things that Satan whispers in our ear. But God is ready for you to start living your purpose and destiny. Are you ready to go out and do what God wants you to do? Have you fully committed to God's plan and purpose for your life? You know, you have to make that choice. God's not going to force his ways on you. You have to choose to be committed. Have you rid your life of those sins that you know have been tripping you up? Like things that over and over, the God, this is the last time I'm going to do this. Forgive me again, please, God. I did it again. Like, are you willing to take a stand to rid those things out of your life? You know, most of us, like, we get the big sins cleaned up. We're okay with the little ones. Most of us are also okay with saying we follow God but never letting him up on that throne. We live the rest of our Christian life living exactly like we want to live. Are you ready to step off that throne and let Christ take his rightful place? Are you ready to be one of the Christians that actually follow God and his teachings and put them into practice of your life? Are you ready to be one of those reliable people that God can say, hey, who, who, who can I send? Who will go out? Will you be one of those people that God can rely on? One of those reliable people that will take those teachings and turn around and teach them to other people. You know, in 2 Timothy 2, 2, it says, take the teachings that you've heard from me, that you've heard me proclaim in the presence of many witnesses and entrust them to reliable people who will be able to teach others also. The only way we're going to have a, a big shift in our city, in our families, in our communities, in, our, in the world, is when we all become those reliable people that God can count on and that we start teaching the ones around us to become reliable people. God's looking for people that he can count on. He wants to be Lord of your life, but he's never going to force it on you. So maybe tonight, I don't know, maybe you're one of those people like me when that guy talked 30 years ago. Like, you're, you're thinking, man, he's he knows my story. Like, he's talking to me. Like, 
Yeah, I go to church every Sunday, but I've never made Jesus Lord of my life. You know, tonight can be the night that things change. Maybe you're one of those people, hey, you made Jesus Lord of your life 5, 10, 15 years ago, but you've let the busyness of life, you've let the lust of the eyes and the things of the world creep back in. And yeah, you're, you're not falling off the deep end, but you're not really being very effective for Christ because you've put yourself back up on the throne. I don't know where you're at tonight, but I know there's a world. I know there's other Ashleys that are dying every day because they need somebody to tell them. Just like in the you know, old days when you uh, played uh, football out in the backyard, you got to pick your team. Maybe you were one of those lucky people that got to be captains and you, you picked that guy because he was fast and you picked that guy because he was big and nobody could tackle him and you picked that guy because he could catch a pass. Like God has picked you for a reason. There's people that you can talk to that nobody else can, can reach. He picked you for a reason. And we need to start getting serious about living our destiny and our purpose. So Allison's going to come out and close us out. We're going to have the ministry team up here in a little bit. If, if you feel like you're in that place tonight, like come up and get some prayer. These people are here to help you. They're here to pray with you. It only takes a conscious decision on your part. Like it doesn't. It doesn't matter if you've screwed up your whole life up until this day. God can still use you to do great things. It doesn't matter how bad you've been. God never wastes a hurt. Like, no matter what you've done, how many people you've hurt, how bad you've been hurting, God doesn't waste a hurt. He'll use that hurt to reach a lot of people for Jesus. It just takes willingness on your part. It's not our ability. It's our availability that God needs. So tonight, after Allison closes us out, come up and get some prayer. Come up and make tonight the night you decide. I'm making Jesus Lord of my life. Let's give Tony a round of applause. Thank you. Thank you. If you guys could stand up with me this evening as we're closing, how many of you were challenged by a word from a dad? Yeah. There's something really special about hearing your worth and your value from from a dad. And and sometimes it's like, okay, God, I want to take the next step. I want to step into the challenge of life that looks like me putting you back on the throne of my heart. And and like Tony said, if that's you this evening, don't miss this moment. Don't miss this time. It's so special and it's so worth it because the areas of your life, I felt like um, even this evening, Lyle had us praying over each other for our, our identity and just declaring that there would be anything that felt foggy or confusing in our lives in the area of our identity to be moved out of the way. And I feel like this is a key for that because the times that we spend doing it on our own with ourselves on the throne can get really confusing am I right but God is so good at making us look like geniuses because he is one and he knows how to work perfectly in our lives and so if you felt confused even and you're like okay maybe like I want God to be on the throne of my heart, but I've been confused on, you know, what step, look, you know, what looks, what's ahead, you know, what, what are, what are you doing in my life next? Ask yourself the question, God, where have I taken you off of the throne of my heart in that area? Because he's really good at providing a way. So tonight I'm going to have the ministry team go ahead and come up and I'm going to make sure that Tony and Amy are available. Amy, I'm throwing you in here too, to pray for you guys, because I know there's a lot of us in here that resonate with that deeply. Like, God, I don't want to be too busy for you. 
God, I actually want you to be on the throne of my heart. And I, and I actually want to choose tonight. I don't want to waste a moment choosing. So if that's you this evening, please come forward. We want to pray with you this evening. Also, reminders for this week. We have the RSVP waiting for you guys for next Sunday. Please let the other family members that you know aren't here this evening uh, know that we want them here and we want them to RSVP. So send out that link to everybody you know that's a part of this family here. Also, if you want to be at Go Conference, don't forget to register for that as well. And then next week with that, we want all of our family members here for the celebration that we're having for our five-year anniversary as a church, which is amazing, but also for our opportunity to welcome our Heritage House of Blessing family members into our legacy family. So will you guys do that with me for next week? Be the open arms. Be the family that you were looking for when you walked into these doors. So I'm going to pray over you this evening, then we're going to dismiss Jesus. We thank you so much for the opportunity that it is to make you the king of our lives this week. We choose in our hearts to be faithful to you, and we trust you in our lives. And God, we just declare that this week is going to be a week that changes us that we will allow your presence to change us, whether we get the opportunity to go to the GO conference, whether we get the opportunity to be home with our families this week. God, we choose to step into the presence that you're releasing this week to our family and through our family this week. So we love you. If you receive that, say amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a round of applause. We love him. We'll see you here next week at 1030 in the morning. Doors will be open beforehand. Get here early so that you you can get signed in and all the RSVP stuff. But we love you. You are dismissed. We will see you next week.